This is episode 75 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. This episode goes back to Men's Roundup 2010 with Bill Thrall. This is session one, Friday night. Good evening. I am really privileged to be here with you tonight. Dave, thank you for that worship time. Warren, Jeffrey, thank you guys. Warren, as a brother, I want to tell you, always tell that story. Always tell that story. Man, that's powerful. That's the grace of God. Uh, In July, I had the privilege of talking to a group of high school kids. And I wanted to give them something that they might kind of know about me. And I'm going to do it with you tonight. I'm going to give you a list of some things, and you need to decide which of these are true about me. All right? Here we go. I once crashed in an airplane, and I get to stand up here tonight and tell you I lived through it. I once, working undercover, arrested the sheriff of the largest county in Arizona. I once and often played poker in the house of a mafia godfather, Mike Licavoli. I once had the privilege of leading a ministry that had seven rock and roll bands, and we traveled all over the Southwest, and God used us to lead just hundreds to Christ. Uh, About 10 years ago, my friend and I uh, did a very crazy thing. We did an 80-mile wilderness trip in Alaska down a river without a guide. I I once shook the hand of President John F. Kennedy. Now, I'm wondering, as you think about those things, which of those things do you think might not be true about me? All of them. (laughs) Just the opposite. They're all true. They're all true. That's all part of my story. God has taken me to some incredible places, including here tonight. What I would like to do with you this weekend is I want to talk with us about the miracles of God's grace. And I kind of have a goal as I start with you tonight. This is part of my goal. I'm discovering um, that for many of us, our theology is not touching our reality. And, And I want to tell you something. One of my goals is to tell you this, that when my theology does not touch my reality, it's because I don't understand God's grace. One of the miracles of God's grace is that he can touch my reality. So I want you to think about that a lot as we go through this time together. In this booklet that they gave to you, there is an outline called Authenticity. And I'd like you to be able to go to that outline with me. And I'm going to talk about those first three words for a while. I want to talk with you about grace, trust, and humility. And before I do that, I want to read to you from 1 Peter in the New Testament in chapter 5, and it says these words. 
God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. I want to tie these three words together. Here's what I'm discovering. That God gives grace to the humble. And for many of us, we don't know what it means to be humble so we could get confused about God's grace. Well, let me tell you what I think humility means. Humility means trusting God and others with me. Humility means trusting God and others with me. We know this, but let me be the one who reminds us. We really need God's grace. We really need it. We worship because of it. We talk about it. But listen to his promise. His promise is that he gives it to those who are humble. And who are the humble? Those who trust him. And those who trust others with who they are. If I am not able to trust God, I will never know his grace. Listen, I may have tons of theology and never know God. Listen carefully. The knowledge of theology is not the key to you knowing God. The key to knowing God is trusting God. But that takes humility. I want to tell you about a story, my marriage. Five years into my marriage, I'm 27. My wife is 25. I'm a young CPA, and I came home from work. And I got out of the car, and I had my CPA suit on, and uh, my wife was coming out of the door. I thought she was coming out of the door to greet me. But before I could go in the house, she said to me, Bill, you don't need to go in the house. Uh, we need to go somewhere for a drive. I need to talk to you. Now, she had greeted me many times, but never with those words. And so I immediately tried to buy some time, and I said to her, uh, well, honey, what about the kids? And she says, Bill, it's okay. Uh, Mom and Dad are here. They'll take care of the kids. Now, that was a bit odd because we lived in Arizona and they lived in Wisconsin. <laughs> You're getting the story. And um, I did an interesting male thing. Our car was about from here to that red pad there. And I walked to the car and I put up the guilt chip. And I was imagining all the things that I knew about me that I just wasn't bothering to talk to Grace. My wife's name is Grace. To talk with my wife Grace about. And by the time we got into the car, I was building defenses for what she may have found out. <laughs> and, and she said we need to go for a drive. And she had a spot out in North Scottsdale, about 30 minutes from our home. And she chose to not say anything, and I wasn't going to but I started to perspire, literally threw my shirt into my suit. And we got to this spot that she had picked out, 
And I had no idea what to do. And so she started. And then she shared these words with me that I never thought I'd hear. I couldn't possibly think of hearing these words. And these were the words. She said, Bill, I, I want you to know that this is going to hurt you, but I need to tell you, I'm really unhappy in our marriage. Oh, boy. And guys, I, I tell you, I, I did another real brilliant male thing. I said, this isn't about me, this is about her. She's unhappy. <laughs> and so I interrupted her and I said to her, how could you be unhappy? And, and, I, and, and, and I listed these incredible reasons, like how can you be unhappy? I've got a great job, we have two kids, we're working in youth ministry, and, and, and so on and so forth, and she's just sitting there quiet, and, and it sounded like this, how can you be unhappy? You're married to me. <laughs> and then she said some words that uh, changed my life, dramatically changed my life, because I never saw the connection and the wisdom of her words. So before I say this to you, I want you to write another word in that first line. I want you to write the word love there. It is very, very important that in order for us to know God's grace, we have to experience love. That's very important. Grace is not a theological dogma. It is an experiential reality. So my wife said these words to me. Bill, wouldn't you like to know why I'm so unhappy? Yeah, okay, well, let's start there. She said this, Bill, we can't live in a relationship where only you get to love me. Why won't you let me love you? Now listen to her words. Why don't you trust me? See, I was breaking the heart of a woman I deeply, deeply loved because I did not know how to let her love me. Because men, I want to tell you something, I didn't know how to trust. I'll tell you something else about the guy who's talking. I grew up in a home with two alcoholic parents. The state of Wisconsin took us away from our parents when I was about eight years old. Fortunately, they both stopped drinking and we had a family back together, but it wasn't easy. I think that had something to do with my not being able to trust well. But I'll tell you the correlation I never made and I want to give it to you in the form of what I call a one-liner, because that's the way I think. Here it is. The degree to which I trust you, the degree to which I trust you is the degree to which you can love me, no matter how much love you have for me. The degree to which I trust you is the degree to which you can love me, no matter how much love you have for me. There's a really wonderful verse in the New Testament. It happens to be John 
it goes something like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth trusted in him shall what? Shall have everlasting life. Why doesn't, why doesn't the world know the love of God? Because they don't trust the God of love. Some of you might be here tonight and you haven't yet known how to trust the God of love. Or you may be someone who years ago made sure that you were going to accept Jesus Christ, but you haven't learned to trust him with your life today. So I'll say it as clearly as I know how to say it. We need to learn to express trust so we can experience grace. And without expressing trust, we'll never ever experience the love God intended because of his grace. With and for each other. And I'm going to tell you the rest of that night. When my wife shared that with me, my heart just broke. I was a Christian 10 years. I was really involved in youth work. I mean, I got a lot of attributes. Woo! And I was broken. And I didn't think I'd ever get fixed. And so I tried something. I believed her. I believe she wanted me to trust her. So I remember that guilt list from here to there. So I started to share it with my wife. And I took the easy things first. Because I was going, oh boy, if she doesn't mean it, I'm in deep trouble. And I shared with her my, my insecurity and how uh, hard it is for me to not be liked and how hard I work at just being liked. And it causes me to lie and deceive. And I told her that. And then, and then I told her that, you're right, honey, I, I don't handle our money well and I do spend money on stuff I don't tell you about, so I hide the purchases. And well, that wasn't very good. And then I, um, then I got into the heavy stuff, and I, and I told her, honey, since I was 15, I, now 27, I have been heavily involved in pornography, and I'm sick, and I don't think I'll ever be able to figure out how to take care of it. I want to tell you something. There's a verse in the Bible that says this, that love can cover a multitude of sins. I want to paraphrase it for you. All of us tonight need to believe something. Love can handle sin. You need to believe that. You see, my wife did not in those moments move from me in the car. She moved toward me. It had just the opposite effect of what I was expecting. Yeah, I was this guy who was doing everything I could to make sure this woman called my wife Grace, this beautiful woman called my wife Grace, would really appreciate love and accept me. The only problem is she had no access to me. 
Do you understand something, men? Our wives never really want what we give them. What they want more than anything else is us. And for many of us, that's the thing we don't know how to give. We need to trust God's grace. We need to trust the reality that love can handle sin. It, it is amazing. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm, I can't even exaggerate it for you. I was really unhealthy. But it was an interesting phenomenon going on with the guy in the car called me. In all of that that I was sharing with her, I was still unbelievably self-righteous. Because I was thinking, at one moment in that moment in the car, I was thinking these, this thought. If Grace were telling me these things, I'd kick her out of the car. You see, because I want to tell you something. Until we learn to trust and receive love, brothers, we never learn to give love well. It's a biblical axiom. We love because we are loved. And if you don't know how to let someone close to you love you because you don't know how to trust, I want to tell you something else. You don't know how to love. And you're robbing all of your key relationships of you and your love. Not the main part of the story, but a sorry part. My wife did not become my counselor that night. I needed help from others. But my wife stood by me that night and has every night since. Because that night, my wife knew she could trust me. Sounds contradictory. It sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? Man, I want to tell you something. We're living be behind a, a facade that's a lie. We will not be loved less when we tell the truth about who we are. We'll be loved more. If those are there that really love us, like, say, our God. And so as you, as you hear this story, hear my story... I didn't know the relationship of the words I'm sharing with you. But I've since learned them. And I teach to them. And I write to them. And I preach to them. We need something. We need to experience God's grace. We need to experience it. Grace is not something I learn about. It is something I experience. And grace cannot be experienced apart from relationship with God and others. It cannot. I'm not talking about being a better gracious person. I'm talking about a miracle that accepts us in spite of who we are and loves us. So as I share with you this weekend, I'm going to be tonight introducing you to some concepts of grace 
But tomorrow and Sunday, I want to take you through a process of experience God's grace in key relationships. That's my goal. That's what I want to be able to do with us. I'm going to have you drop down in your little outline to another point of three words, where it says integrity, trust, and truth. We'll come back to this construct tomorrow, but I want to have you drop down to that point. Integrity, trust, and truth. This is that point. This is the point of these three words. Who do you choose to trust? And why would anybody trust you? If trust is necessary for us to experience love, then, then what do we need to understand? One of the things we need to understand, men, is this. That your integrity as a man, your integrity is for the benefit of those who trust you. Your integrity is not an attribute, a Christian attribute that you kind of wear in your belt. No, integrity is a relational word. I don't know this man right here. What's your name? Craig. I don't know Craig. But I know this. I'd be an idiot if I went up to him and I said to him, hey, Craig, my name is Bill. You can trust me. And you'd all would laugh and say, you're right, you're an idiot. <laughs> but listen to this. What if I had the courage as a man to walk up to a man like Craig and say to him, in order to have a relationship with you, what would I need to do to earn your trust? What would I need to do to earn your trust? What would I need to do to earn your trust? Let me talk to you about integrity. Yours. Mine. Our integrity can only develop, our integrity can only develop in a place that is safe enough for me to discover who I am. My integrity can only develop in a safe, in a place that is safe enough for me to discover who I am and who I am not. A lot of times, those of us in this room who are Christians, we try to witness our faith. And those who are not believers, they accuse us of being something. What is, what is it they accuse us of being? It starts with an H. It sounds like hypocrite. That's a tragic reality. Because it says something. It says this. That you, to them, are not who you say you are. I want to tell you that again. You, to them, are not who you say you are. You lack integrity. 
I'm going to say it again. Without integrity, without integrity, you cannot be trusted. Did you hear what I said a few minutes ago? What's the relationship between trust and love? What did I say? What's the relationship between trust and love? What did I say? The degree to which you are trusted is the degree to which you can love. You may never think the thoughts I think, but I'll share this with you. If the world thinks you're a hypocrite, they'll never let you love them. I don't know if you've noticed it, but they're really unimpressed with how little you try to sin. They're, they're really unimpressed. In fact, you kind of make them mad. And that's why they call us hypocrites. Listen to the words of Jesus. The world will know you are my disciples because you sin less than they do. Right? Isn't that what our theology teaches us? It's everything but biblical. He never said it, and he never taught it. This is what he said. The world will know that you are a Christian because of your love for another Christian. We go to way too many seminaries and how not to, too, way too many seminars on how not to sin. What we should be men learning, and that's part of my lessons tomorrow, is how to become men who understand love. Our integrity is for the benefit of those who trust us so we can love them. Because guess what they desperately need? They need to be loved. Because they're like you. And they're like me. Look at that third word in that second set of three words. Integrity, trust, and what's the third word? Truth. Truth. Here's the key. When you and I make a mistake in sharing the gospel, the mistake we make is that we reduce it to a message that never involves us. But I want to tell you something. One of the greatest privileges you and I will ever have in our whole life is for someone to trust us so we can teach them truth. So here's another one-liner. Ready for it? The degree to which I trust truth is the degree to which it can change me. Knowledge cannot transform. Only truth can. And only truth that is trusted can transform me. Those are powerful words, men. Those are powerful words. In fact, as, a, as a, a man who's done some speaking around some different places, I want to share with you as men here tonight. 
how much you know is never as important as how much you trust. Ever. Ever. Look at the next little line down on the outline. Grace changes our life focus. It actually changes my worldview. It says, how I view myself is the most revealing commentary of my theology. Over the last six years, I've had the privilege of being part of a group called TACT, Theological and Cultural Thinkers. And there are some pretty heady guys in that group who are really smart, and I love them, and, and you'd know their names if I rattled them off. And so I sat with that group one day, and I, and I supposed, what if this were true to the group? Because most of us believe this, that how I view God is the most revealing commentary of my theology. I don't believe it is. Listen carefully. How you view you is a direct reflection of your view of God. Hear that carefully. How you view you is a direct reflection of how you view God. Huh. Whoa, that can't be true. No, erase that one. No, it is true. Let me tell you why it's true. Do you understand by the miracles of Calvary that God in his grace has not only given you eternal life, but he's giving you a new life as part of his family? And you know what? He would love to have you call him dad. He'd love to have you call him dad. In fact, he'd like you to call him daddy. But you know what? If I don't believe what I just said is true, that I am in fact, by God's grace, put into the very family of God, I'll never see God as daddy. He'll be some separate God who I know loved me enough to die for me, but I don't know much more than that and don't care to because I'm such a whatever. Listen, listen to the words. When we understand God's grace, we begin to understand the depths of his provision at a place called Calvary. Oh, man. And do you know that once I accept Jesus Christ, the issue of my life is not the issue of my sin, but the issue of my love. Look at the last line on that little outline. Just look at that last line. It says this, grace changes how we treat each other and our sin issues. Now I want to talk about you for a minute. I want to talk about how I see you. I'm going to walk down here, and I don't know this man right here, and he wishes I wouldn't do this. But what is your name? Shafin. His name is Shafin. I don't know Shafin, obviously. 
Now listen carefully. If this man has accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, he is a saint. He is a saint. He is not striving to become a saint. He is a saint. And I want to tell you something. If I believe that, it changes everything about our relationship. Because I want to tell you, if I know that this man has accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and I still choose to see him as a sinner, it's going to affect everything about our relationship. And I want to tell you why. I'm going to stand next to him. He's going to wish he never even came tonight. <laughs> but watch, watch very carefully. The intention of God's grace is that we would see each other as saints with our sin in front of us so that we could work on it together instead of as sinners with our sin between us. You hear what I just said? It changes everything about our relationship. Not just something, everything. I was teaching this lesson this last part of this lesson to a large group of members of a large international Christian organization. I know you know it. And they had never quite heard it that way. And after I taught this part, we had a break, and two men came up just immediately. And the first man said to me, he's got something he needs to tell you. <laughs> I thought... But why doesn't he tell me? <laughs> and then he said, but before he tells you something, he said, I need to, this man said, he started to cry, he said, I need to tell you something. He said, yesterday, if this man had told me what he told me, on the basis of what he told me, I would have given myself permission to reject him. And now, because of what you taught, I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> what, what do I do with this guy now? He's chosen to trust me with a deep issue of moral impropriety. And if I just saw him as a sinner, golly, I could have got rid of him. But now that I see him as a saint, my brother, I don't know what to do with him. And for most of us, our theology doesn't teach us what to do with each other. We need to understand God's grace. And so the second man, the second man said to me, uh, this is what I told him. And I agreed, he needed some help. But I'm going to tell you what I told the first man. I said, you may not know what to do, but I'll tell you what he needs. He needs you to go with him when he gets the help. And he needs you to stand with him through the help. And he needs to know you love him in spite of what you know. I don't know the amount of time. Let's say four months, six months later, these two guys come to Phoenix to see me, to tell me how they're doing. It was a great time. 
It was just a great time. The second guy with, quote, the problems, he was doing really well. The first guy wasn't doing as well. I want to tell you why. Because when he went with the second guy to get help, he found out too much that was true about himself. And he didn't have any intention of telling on himself. Because <laughs> he thought it was his job, now that his brother was all screwed up, to act like he wasn't. And that somehow the guy acting like he wasn't screwed up was going to help the guy who was screwed up who was getting the help. It, it gets kind of complicated. <laughs> it gets kind of complicated. So I want to share with us how important this understanding of grace is. Do you understand that God actually called you as a Christian alongside, alongside your brother to bear his burdens? And I want to tell you, if you don't see him well because of God's grace, you'll never stand with him. And like these two men, I'm going to give you a hint. I meet with a lot of men. One of the reasons we don't stand along the other guy is because we can't face what is true about us. So I started tonight with these words. One of my goals this weekend is to have our theology touch our reality. To have our theology touch our reality. As I share with you tomorrow, I want to introduce you to a process that, I, that we as a team call relational grace. The power of protective love. Um, I've learned since that night with my wife that I really need you. Do you hear what I just said? I really need you. By, by the way, I just want to tell you something. I really need you. If you're watching the news at all, or reading the paper, you might notice that we as Christians aren't having what you would call a great impact on our culture. You might just notice that. There's just a hint of it in the news. I want to suggest to you that until we as Christians let the grace of God touch our reality, we don't have much for the non-believer. Listen carefully. Jesus Christ, I say this real carefully, Jesus Christ did not die at Calvary just to give you eternal life. He died at Calvary to give you a life. To give you a life. 
If anyone tonight is a believer in this room, I want to tell you something. By the miracle of God's grace, you ain't who you used to be. You ain't who you used to be. And the goal of the Christian life is not to change who you used to be into who you ought to be. Because he's already done the changing. We need to believe who God says we are. We need to live out of who God says we are. We need to live in relationship out of the reality of who we are. Now we're going to get used to my one-liners, but here it goes. When my fear, when my fear of the power of sin is greater than my confidence in the grace of God, when my fear of the power of sin is greater than my confidence in the grace of God, I will hide who I am from you. What in the world did Bill just say? You see, there's a reason we hide from each other. It's because we fear the power of sin. And, and this, is, this is a paradox for us as Christians. Do you know that as a Christian, I am desperately wanting to be known, and I'm scared to death I will be. How do I get into the reality of getting past this paradox? If you would allow me, I want to spend the weekend with you talking about how do we, as Christian men, learn to live out of who God says we are so that our theology touches our reality, whatever it might be? As I close tonight, I want to just share with some of you, I don't know who you are, of course, but some of you may have come this weekend and you're going, who, I don't know about this Jesus Christian life thing. And, and I want to share with you, um, listen carefully. The grace of God for you is not about you reforming. It's not about you becoming a better person. Because I want to tell you something, nobody else in the room can. It takes a place called Calvary. And you need to be able to hear us sing and talk and teach about a person named Jesus who died for you. I want to pray with you tonight, men, and look forward with you to tomorrow. Let's, let me pray with you. Father, my prayer is that um, by the miracle of your grace, this weekend, for many of us, our theology will touch our reality because we will believe who you say we are. Uh, give, us, give us confidence in your grace. 
Spirit of God, my, my prayer is that you would cause uh, every man here to ponder, am I willing to trust God and others with me? Am I willing to do that? And can I believe, God, if I do, that you will give me your grace? Because I need it desperately. Amen. When you leave tonight, in just a couple of minutes, uh, you're going to get a handout at the door. Please take it with you. I want you to know that our team, no matter where we teach, we try to make something true about our teaching, and that is so that you would experience it, because grace is something that needs to be experienced. So as you leave tonight, we're going to hand you a tool. And what we're going to ask you to do is sometime tonight with your team, get together for about a half an hour or more and do this tool. It's pretty simple, yet it's very profound. It's called affirmation. What we're going to ask you men to do is get a sheet. Let's say you sit in a group of three or four. You get a sheet and you put somebody's of the four people in the group or six, whatever you've got, you put one person's name on the sheet. We're all going to do Jim. Whoever Jim is. And what you're going to do on this piece of paper is you're going to circle a bunch of words that you believe from your point of view describe Jim. And then you're going to take five of those words and you're going to tell Jim why he means so much to you. It's called affirmation. The instructions are right on the sheet. Now, all of you won't do it because nobody ever always does it. But some of you might. But I want to encourage all of you to try it. It's a simple tool. Take it, read it, do one person at a time. I'm going to tell you a beautiful story and then I'll turn it over to, to Mark. We did this exercise, this tool, with a group of people in, in uh, Philadelphia. And they were uh, on the staff of a large organization. And eight of the people in the audience were women. Eight of them. One of them was a staff person. The other were former women of the street who were drug prostitutes, drug or alcohol addicted. And they were now on, on as volunteers in, in a house for women of the street. And there were eight of them. And we call it the 703 exercise for them because they took it and they went to room 703, which is one of their rooms, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and they sat there and they affirmed each other till 2 in the morning. I didn't know it till the next morning, and one of them walked up to me, this beautiful black woman, and she walks up and she puts my hands on her face, and she's right about here, and she looks up at me and she says, when you put your hands on my face, what do you see? Oh boy, for a man, it's, there's a nose there for sure. Uh, you know, I got that part. How am I doing? Uh, and she could see that, she, that I didn't know what I was doing, and and so she took her hands over my hands and she started to weep. And she's the one who told me in that moment. She said, Bill, I want you to know that last night we went to 703 and we did this till 2 in the morning. 
And the reason I ask you to look at my face and tell me what you saw, because these are her words. Because she says, I'm 38 years old. And when I got up this morning, I looked in the mirror. And for the first time in my life, I liked who I saw. Man, I want to tell you something. If we live in communities that do not affirm us, we never know who we are. Please try this exercise. Mark, come on up. 